The year 1953, a plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Ersam and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is on the band Custard and their 90s classic Girls Like That. Our special guest is the band's frontman and the song's writer, Dave McCormack. And yes, if his voice sounds familiar to fans of the cartoon Bluey, I have it on good authority that Dave is very good friends with Bluey's dad, Bandit Healer. Girls like that Girls like that don't go for guys like us I want to see the facts And she says simply no Uh-uh The Julio Iglesias He just ain't scientific I'll keep on looking for When it comes to Australian capital cities in the music pecking order, obviously City and Melbourne top the list. But that's not to say that other capitals haven't made a great contribution to our music history, and Brisbane is no exception. Famously, the Bee Gees came out of Redcliffe after immigrating from England, and bona fide legends in Billy Thorpe and Lobby Lloyd both came from Brisbane. Other legendary local bands include The Saints, Beast Suburban, and The Go-Betweens. The Brisbane music harvest of the 1990s also proved to come from some pretty fertile ground. Savage Garden, Powderfinger, Regurgitator and Custard all flew the Brisvegas flag. Well, sort of in the late 80s, well, in the 80s, it was mainly a band called the Go-Betweens. And so I heard lots of them on the local station 4ZZZ. And I think me and my friends were pretty proud that there was this band from Brisbane, you know, doing quite well on the world stage. So they were they were big and there was another band called the Riptides around the same time who were um, – who were a big influence so, so in that sort of surf guitar rock sort of world. And, of course, the Saints. Like, I didn't hear the Saints at the time, but in the mid-'80s I heard Know Your Product and um, Stranded, and and they, that was just great. Well, me, like I say, me and my friends were proud of these bands coming from Brisbane and having success worldwide. And, like... I can't remember, there, there weren't very many local bands that we were into around that time. It was sort of in the late 80s, there was a scene for sure, but it was all a little bit Paisley and 60s influenced and and um, we didn't really fit into that vibe too much. We were sort of um, the band, the people that I was playing with at the time, we were sort of a bit more um, quirky, dare I say, and, you know, We'd probably wear a cowboy shirt instead of a paisley shirt, and uh, and uh, we were we were sort of stood out a little bit from the other bands, and yeah, so there was a, definitely a scene. There was lots of good venues to play. You could play any night of the week. Like when we started playing gigs, not as custard, but as the band before that called Who's Gerald, we could just ring up a place, and you could play on a Monday night, and people would come. It was a real 
compared to what the scene is now, it was a really vibey scene. Growing up, like all kids from the era, Dave wanted to be a Beatle. We used to have those toy ukuleles, you know, with the four strings made out of fishing line. And um, but we'd get cardboard and we'd cut out shapes like the Beatles guitar and put it over the top so it looks like I'd make a, a George Harrison one and a John Lennon one and a Paul McCartney one. And then me and the na- my neighbours, the Groves, we'd do little concerts under their house miming along to the Beatles songs. <laughs> I just always loved doing it, like just um, always wanted to sort of pretend to play guitar and sing and jump around in front of people. So did it from a very young age. And my dad always had guitars lying around the house and showed me basic chord shapes and stuff. So, yeah, from from being pretty young I played guitar and uh, then singing sort of came later. Before Custard, Dave was in a band called Who's Gerald with future Custard bass player Paul Madu. So me and Paul Madu went to school together and uh, he's he was the bass player in Who's Gerald and, you know, we were we were quite we weren't very good, you know, to be honest. And um that band split up sort of eighty nine maybe and me and Paul just kept in contact and found another guy, because um, I was going to Queensland University at the time and there was another guy called Shane Brun who was in a band. Uh, the name of which escapes me. But me and Paul Madu and Shane formed um, sort of Custard Gun, we were called, because we thought it's a bit like the Sex Pistols, right? Custard Gun, maybe. And um, and we did some recording, a little bit of recording. And then um, somehow I met Matt Strong, who was working at a bank, but he had a guitar and an amp. So he became the lead guitarist. And um we dropped the gun part from custard and just became, yeah, dropped the gun from custard gun and became custard because custard gun was just a bit yuck, you know. And then, uh, and then we were very much into sort of uh, Sesame Street sort of. We, we tried to sort of be quite uh, energetic and sort of tried to be a bit loud in our own way, but it was mainly sort of Sesame Street and. Sears for cookie and, you know, lots of colourful clothes and stuff like that. And and then it changed and uh, changed over the next decade. For Dave, the first time he heard himself on radio was one of those great life moments. We recorded a song called Rockfish Anna and it was even before Matthew joined the band, so it was me, Shane and Paul.
we back in the old days there used to be things at the um, radio station called cartridges or carts and they were they you just sort of the, the DJ put it in and it, it was a tape loop that would play and we managed to get um, Rockfish Anna transferred onto a cart which made it really easy for the DJs to play and we gave it to Triple Z and um, and they just played the hell out of it and it was just so exciting. I was driving my mum's car um, around the streets of Brisbane and you always listen to the radio to Triple Z to see if they're going to play anything and it came on and I was like, that was the happiest I've ever been, I think, just to hear it that one time on the radio. It was amazing. I was so happy. And you know what? Probably five people were listening, but it felt to me like the whole world was listening. It was, it was, a, it was, um, it was pretty, I was pretty chuffed about it. Their launch for the self-released Bedford Buttercup album didn't go exactly as planned. So it was the early 90s. Well, okay, we, we'll rewind a little bit. We we played a um, music competition at um, a hotel in Brisbane, put on by a music shop called the Australian Academy of Music, and it was an afternoon. You know, it was a band competition. Never got to play two or three songs, and we didn't win. But they gave us an encouragement award, which I hope I've still got somewhere. And um, the prize was five hundred dollars worth of recording time at a studio called Broken Toys. Um, studio and so we went in and being young we recorded 11 songs in like four hours and for the $500 and we thought great let's uh, let's get a CD made and for some reason we couldn't find any CD manufacturing in Brisbane or indeed Australia and we sent it off to Canada to get made by a company I can't remember who uh, but then the Gulf War happened so it all got delayed on, a, you know, it got manufactured but stood on a dock somewhere for like six months and we'd already booked to do the album launch for um, the CD and so we did it anyway without any CDs to sell. So what we did, we just, you know, um, dubbed off a couple of cassettes and photocopied covers for it. So that was our album launch uh, on cassette. So it was pretty, it's pretty lo-fi. And the and the the CD was called Buttercup Bedford because I I was in another band called Cow and two of my friends from that band were very very good uh, drawers and sort of artists and I told one friend oh can you do the album artwork for us it's called Buttercup and I told the other friend oh can you do the album artwork for us it's called Bedford and I forgot that I'd given them wrong names so we just sort of had to combine it so. Um, yeah, I think we got 500 copies of that uh, CD made, but I don't know if any exist anymore because how many years ago is that, 31, 30 years ago? For a young Brisbane band on the way up, the best line they can ever hope to hear is someone say, you're ready for Sydney. So, yeah, that was our first album, in quotation marks, but then, uh, you know, we after we did a, that album launch, I remember the the sound guy going, okay, you guys are ready for Sydney. And I was like, wait, what? We can go to Sydney to do a gig? So we went down to Sydney, played to no one. But um, we did that quite a bit. And then there was a new record company called Ruart um, who had like the Hummingbirds on there and Ratcat. And they had a little offshoot called Ra Records. And that we just, they have, someone from the label happened to come and see us playing a gig at the Hopetown Hotel in in Sydney and 
they they liked us enough to sign us to a deal to do four albums um, with them, which was great. And we had proper budgets and stuff then, so you know we could go to a, a you know bigger studios with a producer, someone to produce us. That was incredible. Someone who knew what they were doing, because up until then we just made it up as we went along. Custard had passed the test in Sydney, impressing Chris Murphy, the manager of In Excess, and signing him with Murphy's record label, Ruart. Oh, it was amazing. And, like, because fax machines were the things back in the day. So when someone would fax through the contract, you'd be like, this is real. Holy dooly. And to have someone who was going to stump up the money for us to, you know, record in proper studios and make video clips and, and have a label behind us, it was just, it was like the realisation of a dream for all of us because up until then we just thought, oh, God, no one likes us. We're never going to be it. But we just kept doing it once again because we were young um, and we loved it. But, uh, yeah, it was it was really good to have a record label for, you know, for most of the 90s. Released in 1995, Apartment was the first single from Custard that saw them start to gain some national attention. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, because we would had some songs before that that people liked, but for some reason, Apartment, everyone just responded really well to it and Triple J played it. It got in the hottest 100 and it was just, that was when... Uh, I went, wow, I really don't know what people like because I would never have guessed it because the song, you know, makes no sense really lyrically and it's got a sort of weird time signature riff in the middle and, you know, like when we were recording it, it was, I was just going, nah, 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 and we were thinking this is, this will be, this will be a decent B-side. But then, um, yeah, for some reason everyone really responded to it and they still do to this day when, when we're lucky enough to do gigs, everyone really enjoys playing that song.
Apartment came in at number 7 on Triple J's Hottest 100 in 1995, coming in only behind Wonder War by Oasis at number 1, followed by The Smashing Pumpkins, Coolio, The Presidents of the United States, Bjork and Everclear. Custard's 7th spot made them the highest ranked Australian act for that year. Showing how well the band was now being received, coming in next behind Custard at number 8 was Nick Cave and Kylie with Where the Wild Roses Grow. Oh, yeah, I didn't realise it was the highest Australian one that year. Wow. Yeah, good on us. Good on us, mid-90s custard. Good on you. The video clip for Apartment saw Dave in front of the Sydney Opera House, resplendently dressed as an astronaut, complete with a space helmet. The single camera effect proved to be a winner on TV shows like Rage, with the clip's lo-fi effect being born through necessity. It's in front of the Opera House. So um, a friend of mine called Andrew Lancaster made most of the custard videos from sort of pack your suitcases onwards, probably maybe all of them. And um, I was in Sydney. We had no budget to do um, a video at all because we'd spent all of our video budget on pack your suitcases and maybe, I can't remember, there was another one. And we thought, great, let's, Andrew knew a friend who had a space suit and Andrew got his dad's video eight, you know, video recorder. And um, we went down to the opera house, but you're not allowed to film in front of the opera house because it's illegal and the security guards there. But so we were running around. He had the music playing out of a ghetto blaster, and I'm running around like an idiot at sort of dawn. And then a security guard came up to us and said, "You know, you're not allowed to film here." And Andrew, as quick as a flash, said, "Oh no, no, we're not. We're just, we're tourists. We're just like getting some tourist video stuff." And the security guard was like, "Okay," and. We just went, wow, that guy just saw me jumping around miming to a song in a spacesuit, and he believed that we were tourists. So we were pretty lucky. So that video um, clip cost us $80 because we had to spend some money on getting some high-eight video tapes. And then in the middle of the song, we thought it would be funny if we did like a, where it sort of goes to a, a tone, like a sort of bit in the middle because the song is sort of vaguely about you know, tinnitus and not being able to hear and sort of feeling trapped in your own head. So Andrew did this weird sort of dials freaking out bit in the middle of the video and um, then we gave it to the record company and they gave it to the TV stations. So, yeah, it was cool. It was fun. Video clips were always pretty good fun to do. From pulling a fast one over the Opera House security guard for the apartment video clip, in just a few years into the future, Dave and the lads from Custard will be back at the Opera House this time playing live as one of the support bands at the Crowded House Farewell to the World concert. Oh, yeah. I never thought of it that way. You're right. Yeah, it's sort of either ends of the spectrum there, isn't it? Like trying to do it for $80 in the morning to a security guard or playing in front of those masses of people that came to see Crowded House. That's right. Yeah, interesting. The festival scene in Australia was in full swing and Custard quickly became crowd favourites at major events like the Big Day Out, Home Bake and the Falls Festival. It was huge. Like you think about the festival circuit and everyone, it, it was huge. And Triple J and Channel V and Recovery and there was so much, so much outlet for the music and the audience just responded, like tens of thousands of people at these festivals going crazy and it was the peak, it was a peak of the music, wasn't it? From sort of, I feel like 95 to 2005, it, Australian music was just huge 
And those festivals were always so well organised and, you know, the level of professionalism was just something we were never, you know, we'd never experienced. There were stage managers and there were dressing rooms. And then, as you say, you get to go out there and play and it's really loud and exciting and the audience knows your songs and uh, it was just it was a pretty good way to spend the 90s, to be honest. And and you're right, those Big Day Out and the Livid Festival and, and Mud Slinger over in Perth and the Lawn Festival, and they, they were all at their peak and everyone, so many people attended and so many people had a great time. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting. Custard's crowd plays in live shows saw them progress up the order of bands to gain themselves main stage status. We, we got to play on the, the um, main stages, yeah, later. But definitely the first couple of things we did, we, you know, you'd start on the little side stage at sort of 11.30 in the morning and then you'd sort of play somehow. You'd, you'd get on the main stage and it would be, you know, before most of the people were in and then we got better and better time slots and, yeah, it was exciting. And also just to see all those other bands that we idolised playing at those festivals, like, We'd see Pavement and Teenage Fan Club and Beck and the Beastie Boys and just the opportunity to be in the same area as them and observe what they do is just legendary. While checking out the huge international bands was great, also hanging out with fellow Aussie bands added to the band's experience. Yeah, you're lucky enough to stand side of stage and watch all these great bands playing and and just to meet them and then... Yeah, forge friendships and sometimes then we'd organise tours with other bands. Like um, we'd do a tour with Regurgitator or a tour with the Foves and and um, it was great just night after night hanging out with those bands and then watching them play and seeing just how great they were. During the 1990s, the Australian music scene was as strong as it had ever been and the radio station Triple J was a big part of this success. When we started, Triple J had just come to Brisbane as well. So there was the local independent station for Triple Z, but then there was a national youth network who you could get exposure throughout Australia on this network. So that without Triple J, I, I, it would have been a much harder slog for us. We could put out a single, be based in Brisbane, but all of Australia could hear it. So, um, you know, that was before the internet. So that was that was such a huge boost for us. We could tour throughout the land. And you're right, the Triple J Hot 100 was a, was really cool and it was a barometer that everyone had to listen to and wanted to know what was going on and what songs were on there and it was, it was an event. When it came to initially writing girls like that, Dave, his brother Dylan and housemate Trevor Ludlow threw all the ideas into a musical melting pot. I was living in a share house with Trevor and um, my brother Dylan and we were always listening to music and, you know, someone would be saying to the other person, um, yeah, look, what about this song or what about this song? And and Trevor had this line, um, girls like that don't go for guys like us. And my brother Dylan and I just thought, that is such a great line for a song. Let's, let's um, you know, let's cobble one together around that. And so my brother Dylan did. I'm sure he, he wrote most of the chords and, and the music and probably most of the lyrics as well or the melody and then I sort of filled in the gaps and 
then we had this song and I showed it to the rest of the band and we sort of pieced it together in the studio. We were recording in Fortitude Valley in um, Regurgitator's studio um, and the producer we had at the time was Magoo who'd just done Regurgitator so we'd admired Regurgitator and Magoo's production and he sort of pieced it all together and Initially, we thought it was going to be more of um, there's a talking head song called um, Girlfriend is Better, and it goes like um, and it's on, which is a great song. And we were sort of going for this slight sort of, dare I say, disco-y sort of thing. So we are trying to do our, our custard angles but over a disco bass, and, and Paul played quite a sort of, Rolling Stones disco bass line and, and and had this big chorus and it all just came together. And you know what, Sheldon, there's a lot of bits in that song. If I listen to it now, there's a lot of different bits. It's, it's, um, I, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm happy, but also surprised that people connected with it because it sort of goes from bit A to B to C to D to E to F and then back to A again. And it's hectic. The other lucky thing we had was we had one of those Tascam cassette four-track recorders. So, and that was like pretty good technology back then. So we had the the equipment to put down these ideas as they came to us, because otherwise, I'm sure we would have forgotten it all. The housemates to in and fro in saw song ideas pulled from everywhere. It's like a collage of sixteen different um, ideas, and I think that comes from being in that house with Trevor and Dylan listening to songs and going, oh, that's a good bit. Maybe we can put a bit like that into this song. And, oh, that's an interesting bit. Why don't we put that bit in there? So, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good time and um, it, was, it was a good time to be, you know, living in Brisbane with a great scene, uh, being in a band that could tour around Australia and uh, having a very creative home base to do it all from. It was pretty good. There's some great lyrics in Girls Like That, none better than this one about the ultimate crooner slash Latino lover, Julio Iglesias. The Julio Iglesias He just ain't scientific I reckon, I reckon my brother came up with the Julio Iglesias and Trevor or I did the ain't scientific. <laughs> it was literally, it's, it's sort of weird, Sheldon, because you just imagine three people sitting in a lounge room all day just sort of throwing ideas out to each other. So that's how it, it's sort of, um, it's, it's a song that's written not by committee because that sounds too dry, but, you know, by, it's, it's like a village creating a song. And all we did all day was sit around and have ideas for song lines or melodies and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And we got to meet Julio Iglesias backstage at Hey Hey at Saturday many years later. So I'm sure there's a photo of us with him somewhere, so that was pretty weird. And did Julio know that Custard immortalised him in song? He did, but I, it, it didn't really seem to um, – he didn't seem that concerned or impressed or he, – he seemed fairly aloof, actually. <laughs> He's Julio Iglesias. He can do whatever he wants. And when it comes to lyrics with a Latino flavour, South America also gets a mention. I may well live to regret this in the morning, for I am considering a 
While South America is on the recording, when Custard play live, other destinations also get a mention as well. Yeah, yeah. In Brisbane, it'd be Wool and Gabba. Um, down here, it, it'd be, uh, yeah, in Sydney, it'd be Parramatta. It could be Wangaratta. It could be any of those things. We just did, we just said South America because it sounded so exotic. Like, ooh, considering a move to South America, wow. And also um, Nick Cave had spent some time in Brazil, you know, Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. And, you know, I, I always loved that, the idea, because Brazil seems pretty wild and out there and, and creating music in that environment seems so sort of wild west. And, uh, yeah, so I wanted to put South America in there. Now Dave had all these bits and pieces of the song. Once they got into the studio, it was time to link them all together. Uh, yeah, well, we sort of created it in the studio a bit because there's a there's another version of the song which is basically the same, but I think when we were in the studio, we were thinking, oh, the, you know, when popular songs, they often start with the the chorus. So we just did an instrumental chorus to start before the verse. So it was just things like that. We just rearranged it and... Even though it's sort of a weird concoction of so many different bits, we tried to treat it as if it was a sort of classic three-minute pop song. Start with the instrumental chorus, do a verse, do a bridge, do a chorus, do a guitar solo, then double chorus, you know, to get out of there. So we tried to make it classic pop, but it's, it's, uh, but using weird elements. Australian producer extraordinaire Magoo had been producing Regurgitator and he turned his attention to Custard. Well, the Gurge were always a lot heavier than us, but they still had this great pop element and, and Magoo brought the pop element and some of their edge and then just lots of creative sounds. And, and Magoo's just, he's like, he's a pop music genius. Not a, he's a great engineer and the sounds are good, but he's also just, he knows what works in the realm of pop. And uh, he certainly shaped it to make it, you know, he's a big part in this song because just getting the sounds and the arrangement right was so hard. And then then we sort of had to really learn how to play it again And uh, after we'd recorded it because it was like, wait, what? How did we do that? While predominantly a guitar band, girls like that saw Custard tinkering with technology. My dad bought me a, a monophonic synth back in sort of 1982. It was a Roland SH-101. So we had that in the studio to do lots of the that sort of end. Well, the, you know the end bit that goes... That's when we were trying to do um, Nutbush City Limits. If you listen to that song, it's got the same sort of monophonic synth sound in it. So that's what I mean before. We were sort of... If we heard something that we thought was cool, we'd try and put it in the song. So, and then lots of the other sound, weird sounds would have been from Magoo, the producer, who was just a whiz at getting cool sounds happening. As we've already mentioned, there are plenty of great lines in Girls Like That. Here's another one. To keep on looking for that love and I'll keep on looking for that love and Yeah, yeah. So it's well, it's supposed to be, you know, it's it's happy and sad at the same time. It's it's like, oh well, I'll, I'll keep on looking for the love and feeling, but I'll probably never find it. But I'll keep on looking, but I'll never find it. But I'll keep on looking. You know, it was uh, it's sort of like one of those Escher lines. I'll just keep on looking for that love and feeling, but it's it just keeps going on. 
The video clip for Girls Like That won an ARIA award in 1999. It was directed by Dave and Andrew Lancaster. Yeah, yeah, I think Andrew generously gave me a sort of co-director credit because for some reason I just had a, a lot of ideas like I want to have red balloons in the sky and a boxing glove on one hand and I want to be riding a dragster and we should have dances, you know, in the thing. And, and But he realised that dream. I, I just sort of came up with as many visually striking ideas as I could and then... Um, yeah, and then we were lucky enough to win an ARIA. So that was the one and only ARIA custom have ever won for video clip direction, which is weird. When you're watching the dance scenes in the video for girls like that, you can't help but feel good. Well, our big inspiration was sort of, um, you know, those Michael Jackson videos for Beat It and um, Bad, yeah, and that sort of West, West Side Story sort of, you know, I'm bad, I'm bad, and they're all doing that choreographed dance moves as a group. So that's where we were we're coming from with that. And uh, once again, Andrew, and um, to just to round up that whole talented group of people and, and make it happen was incredible. While Dave is undoubtedly the main focus of the video, he was equally supported by his dance troupe. Yeah, they're, they're all from... Um, like a local performing arts school. So I think they were uni student age, so they were probably 17, 18, and, and God, they'd probably be all like 50 now, wouldn't they? The film clip for Girls Like That was on high rotation on all the music video shows, and as we mentioned, it culminated in winning an ARIA award. It's just a lot of the things in that video just came to me in a dream, so it was good of Andrew Lancaster to be able to realise that. And as we alluded to before, to be able to win an aria for that was was amazing. Although I suspected something was up when um, the the record company said, "I oh, will send a limo to pick you up to go to the aria awards," and I was like, "Wait, what? No one ever picks us up in a limo to go to the aria awards. We normally have to get a cab." And in hindsight, they must have known or something because. Um, yeah, and at the time I just thought, oh, that's nice, a limo, wow. Custard are a band that have never taken themselves too seriously and their fun time approach to their music came across well on the TV shows of the day, like Recovery. Yeah, we were never going to be sort of a serious heart-on-our-sleeve band. We were always just, you know, and especially going on Recovery because Recovery was at, you know out of Melbourne um, mostly and it was a proper TV studio with... A, a wardrobe department and makeup department, and we'd be like, "Great makeup department, give me a false mustache, and you know wardrobe. What what's the most stupid clothes you got? Let's wear that." So, recovery was uh, such a great outlet and so professionally run. It was the big time back in the day. Imagine every Saturday morning, three hours of live TV with bands and you know interviews and all that stuff. It was incredible. Another of Custard's biggest songs is Music is Crap. Red eyes, blue gaze You look like hell today Step out on parade You do it so well Your favourite shirt Those shoes that you bought in Perth Dumb hair, smart slacks that's rock apparel Music is crap Aliens 
When Custard appeared on Hey Hey It's Saturday to promote Music Is Crap, they deputised the show's host, Daryl Summers, into the band, and Dezza had no hesitation on ditching Ozzy the Ostrich and picking up the drumsticks. Yeah, I'd play the drums in the middle like Daryl, because Daryl's a drummer, we all knew that. I was like, Daryl, you know, do you, want, do you want to play drums? And he was, and you know what, he learnt the part exactly, and he did a, a really good job, like, he was seriously into it. He wasn't mucking around. He knew all the fills, he knew the cymbals, and, he was, he was a champ, and he was, he was good. He did a good job, and he was serious about it. Like he could have just got up there and tried to steal the show and do stupid drum fills and stuff, but he, he was rock solid, man. He nailed it. Custard supported the presidents of the United States when they toured Australia. The presidents were so impressed, they even invited the band to tour America with them. Yes, that's right. That was in the sort of 97, so they were – they were very popular. They, they had lots of very popular songs and they generous, generously asked us to support them all throughout Australia. But it was like the, it was like Beatlemania, Sheldon. Like we play at Melbourne Festival Hall and it'd just be packed. And their audience would get along and be really supportive of us because we were on before them. And then the presidents themselves were so lovely and encouraging and we'd hang out and... Yeah, they were, they were very generous to us, very, very supportive, and, and that was just a, a really such a buzz to do that. And then we even got to play with them in America as well, which was so nice of them. The presidents were three middle-aged guys who had an incredible run in the mid-'90s with hits like Lump. Lump And another classic, Peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Peaches come from a can, they were put there by a man in a factory downtown. And if I had my little way, I'd eat 
dream, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. They looked like anything but rock stars. No, no, because they're all like losing their hair and they look, you know, they they just looked a bit unusual. And, and you're right, the, the fame had sort of passed them by a bit and then all of a sudden they just came back and they had a couple of years there where they were one of the most popular bands on the planet, I reckon. Hailing from Seattle, the city that grunge grew out of, the Presidents were a power pop trio who, like Custard, didn't take themselves too seriously. It's the antidote to all that sort of lyrical heaviness, but they've got such, there's so many grunge elements in the Presidents as well, like, and and the, the way they had those unusual guitars that only had a couple of strings and they used all open tunings and things. They were, they were pretty out there for a while. It was, it was pretty good stuff. Another big-named international band that Custard toured with was Weezer. Yeah, Weezer, yeah. Well, they were, they were, they were you know, a massive, well, not influence, but everyone loved that Blue album. And then when Pinkerton came out, which I think was their second one, we got to su- su- support them around um, Australia. And they were lovely, lovely. The band was lovely. Rivers, the singer, was a, a bit sort of, uh, you know, aloof and a bit, rock starry but that's all right like he can he can do his own thing but yeah they were really sweet we'd hang out with them a bit yeah they were cool dudes and when it comes to playing on a big stage they don't come any bigger than that of the crowded house farewell to the world concert the concert was held on the steps of the sydney opera house in 1996 custard played before an estimated crowd of 250,000 people with the concert also broadcast live on channel 10 and channel v that was mega, mega rock starry because that was just the biggest stage and the biggest platform we'd ever um, been able to get on. I'm not sure how it came about because I know that you and I and Powderfinger were going to play and we were quite good friends with Paul Hester who was the um, Crowded House drummer. Like we'd met him through some mutual friends and, um, you know, done some jamming in the studio with him in Melbourne and he'd always come along to the gigs and we coax him up to drum on a song or two. Um, and I I think, and I don't know, but I think he just threw our name into the ring and then, then we got on the bill. And the night that it was supposed to happen, it got rained out because there was a big storm and, and then um, they had to do it the following night but Powderfinger had another gig on somewhere. So we they went on first and we got their spot just before you and I. So, the, yeah, they played early, then they went to the other gig that they had to do and we were lucky enough to get, you know, to play when everyone was there and um, Channel V were filming it and uh, then we got to see you and I play and then just to be there for that crowded house um, concert side of stage was just... That was a great moment. Just, just the uh, the feeling of being there and seeing Crowded House at the peak of their powers saying goodbye was, uh, yeah, a very special moment. And then we just got to hang out with newsreaders and celebrities for the rest of the night, and we felt like um, we were mixing with the rich and famous. Imagine for a moment standing up on stage before a crowd of a quarter of a million people. No, God, I remember looking like across the harbour and people were even watching from across the harbour and it was a beautiful day and the weather was perfect and I wore, my brother was in a band called Biro at the time so I, wear, I wore his band T-shirt, like to be a walking billboard for his band 
and um, it was cool. It was cool, and, and and luckily, lots of that footage survives on YouTube now. So that's interesting. Custard are well known for wearing other bands' t-shirts on stage when they play live. <laughs> well, look, when we were on tour, Sheldon, that'd be the other band's merch would be the only clean clothes that were around most of the time. So. You know what I mean? Like if you're on tour with Snout or the Foes and, you know, like, oh, can I have one of your band shirts because it's clean? So there, there was that factor as well. But also it's good to support, you know, other bands by wearing their merch so your audience gets to, you know, hear about other, other cool musical acts. They even rocked a Savage Garden T-shirt on Recovery. That was tongue-in-cheek because it was just us going, like, what's the most un-us? shirt to wear and we just thought savage garden be good because they were huge then all around the world and 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 we just thought they're from brizzy but you know it'll be a bit of a joke if we wear their shirts so (laughs) well they weren't a pop act like savage garden custard are proud to display their pop sensibilities we're definitely like a, a pop pop is is our natural game and that can sometimes be pretty cool pop or sometimes it can be a bit cringy but I think we're a a pop band with rock elements thrown in you know when we could do it like we'd never really do straight out rock and roll stuff we'd sort of have a a pop thing with as you say a bit of doo-wop and then if we get a bit of rock in there with the drums and guitars all the more the merrier. When it came to backing vocals Custard weren't adverse to harmonising either. We, we do like a bit of a backing vocal, that, and that's something that the um, producers that we've had over the years have always sort of pushed as well. So, yeah, they, we, we often have a bit of a layered sort of in the background, and um, it just it goes back to that pop element again. It's, it just tries to make it as, as poppy as, as we can with our different bits of music. And in the 1998 poll, they scored again when Music Is Crap came in at number 24. While happy to chart, Dave thought Girls Like That would also rank as well. As it turned out, Girls Like That charted a little higher than he had hoped, coming in at number three. It, well, I remember listening because, you know, it was it, it was the thing to do. You'd listen to um, the Hot 100, but I was in Sydney by myself, so it was a bit weird. And I remember it got to number, you know, they played whatever number 20 was, and I thought, ah, oh, bugger. We've missed out. And, you know, it got to 10. I was like, oh, no. And then I, I started to, you know, not listen. And then um, it got to, you know, they played number four. And I was like, damn, I thought it would have, like, got in the top 50. And then I heard it and I was like, wait, what? Number three? I think that's what it was. Number three, maybe? Yeah, it was incredible. And I was by myself. So I couldn't really high five anyone or do anything. So it felt a bit weird. Now let's talk about the phenomenon that is Bluey. The animated TV series has taken the world by storm. Dave provides the voice of Bandit, the father of the Healer family, and a much-loved character of the Emmy Award-winning show. Bluey is shown locally on the ABC and the BBC in England. In America, it's one of the highest-rating shows on the Disney Channel, and an Aussie success story if ever there was one. That's just the uh, a sort of an unexpected turn that's happened over the last few years because I've never done any um, I've never done any sort of voice acting before but I, I met someone who knew someone who was doing this animation and and they said you know do you want to try and you know do you want to audition for the voice of the dad and I was like 
I don't know. I can't do that. What do you mean? But I had a crack at it and they liked it. And here we are, you know, 200 episodes later and I'm, I'm doing the voice of a, a uh, border collie on a kid's show. So there you go. I would not have picked that when we were playing with Crowded House, the uh, opera house. I would not have picked that 25 years later I'd be the voice of a cartoon dog. Dave reckons he doesn't do much for his success with Bluey. I, I'm so happy for um, Bluey's success, but I've got so little to do with it. It's sort of embarrassing because someone else has to write it and they have to tell me what to say and then they have to draw all the pictures and all that. So there's a team behind it that are doing such a fantastic job. I'm such a small cog in that machine. And for the parents, they then realise Bandit Healer knows how to rock. I see that. Yeah, they say, like, wait, what's Bandit's? Banded Healer's got a band? What? So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a couple of decades apart, but, yeah, it's, it's been a bit going on. Custer's lineup was Dave with lead vocals and guitar, Paul Madu on bass, drummer Danny Plant, and guitarist Matthew Strong. Custard are still recording and touring and are still having fun. Okay, that's enough of the talk. Here's Girls Like That by Custard. I'm looking for that love 
Thanks for listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. Thanks to Dave for your time, and thanks to Custard for the music. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions. Written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! Just stop it.